Now, uh, we already read our scripture. We want to try to uh, really get, get out on time today because of our uh, short business meeting. But um, many of you probably thought that I was uh, going to emphasize the murmuring because I drew your attention to the M word throughout that passage of scripture that we read. And I think it, that word, although we're not going to necessarily dwell on that word, should make us stop and think about how wonderful our God is. Now, here the children of Israel were brought out of a terrible, terrible situation. And here they were not even gone that long. And they're complaining that they want to go back because they didn't trust God to keep his promise. But you know, how many times do we as Christians murmur about things, even worry about things that are out of our control, but God knows all about it. And uh, God can give us the peace God can give us the ability to trust him and to rely on him. So with that in mind, I want us to look at what this manna that was provided by God to the children of Israel represents to us as Christians in the year 2018. There's a lot of applications that we can make in this study today. And this manna that came down from heaven is a beautiful symbol of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus, where did he come from? He came from above. And the Bible tells us that Christ is the bread of life. It's how we live. It's how man lives. Uh, I think the following passage in the New Testament will kind of drive that home to us. Look at John chapter 6 and verse number 32. It says, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, and I giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Go down to verse 48. It says, I am the bread of life. If you have a red letter edition, you know that red letter indicates that that is Christ speaking. Verse 49, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And of course, along with that, I think of that wonderful verse that... Uh, I have never been in too many places where at least almost 
can quote it along with me. Oh, there's some that may not know it, but that wonderful verse that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's marvelous to know, isn't it? Amen? Well, here's something that we all need to understand, and, and it, children of Israel are a, a vivid illustration of this. Where God guides or leads, he will provide. Think about the children of Israel again. Now, I've got to make sure I don't get bogged down here and keep my promise this is a mini-sermon. But just think about the children of Israel, how God made them promises which he kept. And think about how short of a journey this could have been from Egypt to the promised land, but because of sin and murmuring and complaining, it turned into how long? Forty years. Forty years. But here's God's love. Even with all the murmuring, I don't know if anybody counted how many times that word came up in 13 verses, but a whole lot of times. Even with all of that, now you know, well, maybe I better not say that. I know what I would have done. Okay. Starve to death then. And that would be the carnal thing or the man thing to say. But God in his love didn't do that. He said, here, I'll give you something that I bet you you never tasted before. And I'll give you something also, some meat that you didn't expect to find in the wilderness or the desert. And he provided it for me. Now think about yourself. Think about this place that God has given us. Don't you realize that somebody said, I'm going to take this place, turn it into an apartment building, and I'm going to make money. And God said, well, although that may not be a bad idea, I'm not done with this place yet. I want it to be a lighthouse yet in this community. And here we sit today, worshiping God, singing his praises, and being taken care of very well by God our Father. Amen? Very well. And of course, um, he didn't bring them this far to let them starve. The journey wasn't done yet. He said that he would guide them in to the promised land. They weren't there yet. Uh, he has a plan for them, just as he has a plan for you and I. I've said this a number of times. If you are here on this earth and you, you, are, you, you are a child of the king, you belong to God, God has a plan and a purpose for your life, find out what it is and get busy doing it. And he will provide everything that you need to do it. He promises you that. Here's something else he promises you. I will never leave thee or forsake thee. You know what I like about God? It's a whole lot better than some of my friends that I've come into in the past. They've made me promises. Some of them, uh, my good friends, they've kept them. 
Some of them didn't keep them, but you know what God does when he makes a promise? He keeps it. He keeps the promise. So, as we move on with this story, uh, remember also that in, in God's plan, sometimes you will find that you will be on a mountaintop. Other times you will find yourself in a valley. If you follow the children of Israel and they went on their journey, uh, you might even consider, uh, if you're familiar with a roller coaster ride, that they were on a roller coaster. <laughs> I mean, up and down, up and down, up and down. But still, God's plan worked out perfectly, and they got exactly where God said that he was going to lead them, and he gave them exactly what he said he was going to give them. You know how many times I have said from this pulpit and other pulpits, I believe that the only reason with all of our faults, with all of the sins, with all of the wrong directions we have taken, the only reason the United States of America is still standing and is still strong because we are friends with God's people, the nation of Israel. And I'll never back down from that. And I will get very nervous when a president gets into office and he wants to turn his back on that nation. Amen? Amen. History has proven that to be true. Now, uh, let's move on here. They awoke in the morning and found manna on the ground. Now, some people like to figure out how many children of Israel came out of Egypt. Some of them, I believe, get pretty close with their estimates of how many people could have come out of Egypt. Let's say if there were, and it's very possibly could have been two million of them, if there were two million of them, uh, then what God provided was somewhere in the neighborhood of 240 boxcars of manna every day for 40 years. That's a lot of manna. Now, I wouldn't want to have to come up with that, but guess who can? God. <coughs> Think through your life. When somebody or even you yourself thought, oh my, there's no way that I can get this done. There's no way that I can get through this next problem. There's no way. Some people might say to you, oh, there's no chance God's going to meet that need. I just don't see any way he's going to take care of that. Almost sounded like Job's wife, didn't it? Why don't you curse God and die? Boy, I'm glad he didn't. And you know what? There's another picture of God's mercy. God allowed her to live and produce children again for Job and experience the blessing that he received after he stood firm in the promises of God. Wow. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. Uh, of course, uh, he can and he did provide, no matter how many there were. I believe there were a couple million. No matter how many there were, God provided for them. That's amazing in itself. And still, we ask sometimes, now can God do that? Can God provide this 
for us? Can God take care of this car repair bill? Can God take care of this medical expenses? Yeah, he can. Let me go back to a familiar passage of scripture. Some of you have it memorized, but I want you to see it. It's always better when you can see it. Go back to the book of Philippians. Some of you know where I'm going. Philippians, and let's go back to chapter 4. And I want you to look at and read with me verse 19. Philippians 4, 19. But my God shall supply some of your, all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Let's read it again. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now something just came to mind. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. Don't worry, I'm not going to make a recording. Okay. It doesn't say that he'll meet all our greeds, but he'll meet our needs. And you know what he does sometimes? Sometimes he even gives you something better than what you thought you really needed as an extra blessing. Isn't that marvelous? That's marvelous. You know I'm going through my shoulder operation, or some of you did, on June the 18th. I'll be off for about three weeks, but uh, we have people taking care of the preaching, and you'll get fed real good. And I was, uh, the doctor, of course, they always have to tell you the worst. They said, you know, you're going to have a lot of pain, but we'll give you pain medicine. So I was at my favorite uh, coffee spot uh, yesterday, the other day, and I ran into a man uh, that had shoulder surgery. His name was uh, Mr. Bell. His family ran the meat market, Bell's Meat Market, down in Hummelstown for many years. His brother still runs it. He works for him. I said, Mr. Bell, uh, how was your operation? Did you have a shoulder replacement? He says, I sure did. He says, total shoulder replacement. I said, can you tell me, uh, what was your pain level after that, and for how long did you have pain? He smiled at me. He says, you're not going to believe this. He says, but I had no pain whatsoever. Now I'm thinking, boy, his pain tolerance must be high. But he said, I'm serious. I had no pain whatsoever. And I walked out the door and I looked up to heaven and I said, Lord, that's the way I want it to go. <laughs> no pain, he said. And we'll see how it goes. But anyway, God supplies our needs. And sometimes even our wants. That's the way God is. Uh, Numbers chapter 11. We don't have time to turn to it, but Numbers chapter 11 um, tells us this. Now, first of all, you say, oh, my manna, the same thing all those years. That, that, kind, that would have gotten kind of stale, wouldn't it be? Well, if you were hungry, I don't know about that. But anyhow, Numbers chapter 11, I like the way God covers this. Numbers 11 says that they could grind it. They could beat it. They could bake it in pans. And I bet you that they came up with more ways to make that than you can shake a stick at. Sometimes when you get down to just potatoes or name whatever it is, uh, and maybe you only just have, uh, that's all you have. Some of you ladies have a unique way 
are making the same thing, just a little different. And it's real good to taste and to eat. So God even left us know in Numbers 11 that they could prepare it in different ways. Uh, but you know what? It's sad to say it's kind of a natural thing for us to complain. Isn't that sad? It's kind of a natural thing. But why wouldn't it? Because we still have the old nature. Remember, when we're born again, uh, we still have that old nature. It's not eradicated. But we have that new nature. We have the Holy Spirit that now dwells within us. And when we listen to the Holy Spirit instead of the old nature, we always do a lot better. But it almost reminds me of the story where the guy got, uh, from an anonymous donor, he got a $10 bill in the mail. It came in an envelope. He opened it up, and he looked at it, and he says, oh, my. I said, boy, they could have done a little better than that. And the guy next to him said, what do you mean? That's a $10 bill. Yeah, well, why didn't they send me two fives? I need two fives. And <laughs> that was a made-up story, you understand. But I bet you if you looked hard enough, you'd be able to find somebody just like that in this world. They got $10, but they didn't get it in the right denomination. That's pretty sad, isn't it? Pretty sad. And they said to God, oh, God, I wish we were back in Egypt where we had onions and garlic. Boy, I hope they had something to take care of the smell that came out of their breath after that, too. You understand? But look what they're complaining about. Going back into slavery? Really? Really? Come on now. Now let's move on. The manna illustrates three things for us Christians. Follow with me very quickly and closely as we go through these. The manna illustrates three things. First of all, it illustrates who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. We said that the manna was small. Jesus was small in the fact that he was very humble. He took upon himself the form of man. He being God, he took upon himself not the form of an angel, but the form of man. Why? He wanted to experience what we go through. He did it without sin. That's what makes it so wonderful that he now sits in the right hand of God the Father on high, making intercession for us. He knows what we go through. He did it too, but he had no sin. So he was humble. Do you remember when the religious leaders, and I like to always remind you that they were religious but lost, they would come to him and they would try to trap him or trick him into to, uh, showing that uh, they knew more than he did. He was very humble with them. He was, uh, he was concerned about their souls. Even when they came from, for him in the garden, he willingly went, went with them. I read somewhere, I don't know where I read this, where it says that Jesus was murdered. Jesus was not murdered. Jesus willingly laid down his life. Nobody murdered him. He willingly gave of himself for you and I. He willingly died on the cross, a cruel death. Didn't it tell us in our study last week he could have called... 12,000 uh, legions of, uh, or 12 legions of angels, that amounts to 72,000 angels, but he didn't. He chose to pay the price that you and I could never pay. 
That's a wonderful God, isn't it? That's who Jesus is. He came as a small baby in a manger. What an act of humility that was. He left heaven for us. He wasn't even born in a palace. He was born in a stable. You talk about humble. You talk about humility. There it is. Uh, what was the first scene he looked on? What was the first sound he heard? What was the first thing he smelled? It wasn't perfume. Yeah. His humility continued throughout his adult ministry. His adult ministry only lasted three, three and a half years. And he did more in that three, three and a half years than many of us could even dream about doing in three lifetimes. You talk about humble. He washed the disciples' feet to illustrate to them that he didn't come to rule, he came to serve came to minister to us. The manna was round. That speaks of his deity. A complete circle. It has no end. There it is. It was also was white, which speaks of his purity and his sinlessness. And it was sweet. And there's no sweeter name than Jesus. A lot of people I hear take his name in vain. I might let him get away with it once, but I'm biting my lip. But the second time, I'm going to approach him in a loving and a kind way, and I'm going to say, excuse me a minute, I, I just heard you mention my friend. I'll just always get to, your friend? What? Who's your friend? Jesus. Have an opportunity to talk to him about Jesus and who he really is and what he did for them and for me. No sweeter name than Jesus. Now, how Jesus came. How did he come? Well, uh, the bread or the manna, did it come from Egypt? It came from heaven. It was not manufactured in the wilderness. Uh, God didn't say, okay, Moses, you tell them how I want them to make this manna. No. He didn't even, they didn't even have to worry about that. He gave it to them from heaven. It came from heaven. It came as a gift. They didn't have to do anything to earn it. In fact, the matter is, if it, anything, they weren't even worthy to receive it. With all the M word that we read in those 13 verses, the murmuring and complaint, they didn't even deserve it. But you know what? He gave it to them anyway. Boy, don't that remind you of John 3.16 again? For God so loved some in the world? Uh-uh. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's why I don't sit too long when I hear people using Jesus' name in vain. I will preach. And I'll try to do it in a spiritual way instead of the carnal nature, you understand. But I try to let them know that's my Savior. That's my friend. Well, 
manna fell as a gift right where the people were. And you know, that's the same thing with Jesus. You can come to Jesus today. It come, he comes right to where you are. Right to where you are. Isn't that something? They didn't have to go, now I'm going to rain this manna down, Moses, but I, I'm a little upset with these people. I want them to walk five miles to get it, but I'm going to feed them. No, no, that's what you and I might have done, but not God. He brought it right down. What, where did they find it? Well, they walked out at their tent, and there it is. After all that murmuring and complaining, <laughs> he gave it to them. He gave it to them. You know what Jesus does? He'll, he'll take you right where you are and right the way you are. And he will change you as only he can change you. He will feed you and make you full and satisfy you like you've never been before. John 6, 33, look at it. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. The manna came on the dew. Numbers 11.9. We don't have time to turn to it. Numbers 11.9. It came first thing in the morning, six days a week, not on the Sabbath. It was a daily bread, not a weekly bread. Isn't it interesting how when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. And in that, what people refer to the Lord's Prayer, it really wasn't the Lord's Prayer, it's our prayer. The Lord's Prayer is, what is it, John chapter 17. But he said, uh, you go to the, he, he says, you know, our Father which art in heaven. And what's part of that prayer? It says to us, now, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. Give to us our weekly bread. Huh? What's it say? Daily bread. God takes care of our needs one day at a time. One day at a time. It was daily bread, not weekly bread. Uh, you know what? Some people come to church and they say, Well, gas me up, preacher. I've got a big week ahead. Well, it's all right to come here and to get fed and to grow and to fellowship with one another. But uh, may I kindly say to you, uh, gas yourself up daily. And you can do that through talking to the Lord through prayer. And he talks to you through his word. There you are. Do it daily. Do it daily. Yeah. And the manna came where they were. And it came to a rebellious people. And sometimes we are rebellious people. We take a lot of things for granted. And you know where the devil, I said this in Sunday school this morning, you know what the devil likes to do in a congregation like this? Where it should be unity and we should love one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. He likes to cause division. He loves to do that. We need to be careful we don't allow him to do it. Amen? We need to love one another. Uh, the manna came where they were. God could have rained down fire and brimstone, but he didn't. 
gave him manna, gave him quail. Here's something else. Now think about this. I had to write this out so I wouldn't forget it. God didn't send a Savior because we wanted one, but because he knew we needed one. Get that? God didn't send a Savior because we wanted one, but because he knew we needed one. Number three, last point. Can you believe it? What we must do in response. Remember we said when we started out here with this three things, the man illustrates three things. He said who Jesus is. Second, how Jesus came. Third, what we must do in response. We need to respond. Um, well, you know what the children of Israel did? They ate. And they were filled. You know what you need to do? You need to eat, too, the spiritual food that God gives you. Where do you get that spiritual food? Right here from behind this pulpit. When you sit down at home and you also read God's word, read devotional books, pray to the Lord, gather together even in small groups like a men's Bible study, ladies' Bible study. You eat God's word in that sense. And you grow spiritually. Sometimes it's a feast. Mm, and it should be. Remember the prodigal son when he finally came to himself and he got done eating the slop with the pigs? He says, what am I doing here? In my father's house, there's plenty of food. What am I doing out here? Why did I rebel like that? What did he do? Went back. Almost reminds you of a backslidden Christian, doesn't it? When they, God finally gets him awake. And they went back. And what does the father do? Get out of here. I don't want you. I don't know you anymore. No, no. He welcomed him with open arms. He put a robe on him. He killed the fatted calf, and they had a feast. They had a feast. Only Jesus can satisfy. There's a lot of people out in this world, including the younger generation, they're looking for something. They want satisfaction. They want peace. Unfortunately, they're all looking in the wrong place. You know what? You got the answer for them. I hope you're spreading that good news. That they can have peace in Jesus Christ. Notice something else here. They had to stoop down to receive the manna. Yeah? You know, you could have rained it down and they could have hold their pots out there and got it that way. No, no. They had to stoop down. didn't fall on the table. It didn't grow on trees that they had to climb up and pick it. You know why many people won't get saved today? Because they won't stoop down and recognize themselves as a sinner and humble themselves before a holy God. And reach out and receive the free gift that comes from heaven. You realize that's how simple it is to be born again. Man has complicated that. There's some churches that are meeting in this town right now that are telling their people, when I look now, you, you just do the best you can. And I know this illustration gets stale, but they might as well use this illustration too in their sermons. 
you know, when you get to heaven, there'll be a big scale up there, and St. Peter will meet you at the gate, and, and there'll be a scale, and, uh, you know, and then if the good outweighs the bad, then they'll let you in, and, and you know, and if it's even pretty close, Peter say, ah, oh, that's close enough, come on in. No, no. It's nothing more than you and I accepting the fact, and it shouldn't take too long to figure out we're sinners in need of a Savior. And the Savior is Jesus. We admit we're lost. We receive his finished work. Acknowledge he is the only way to heaven. And we're guaranteed eternity with him. That's marvelous. But they had to stoop down. Each one had to take enough for themselves. God doesn't have any grandchildren. Each person must come to him willingly admitting, I'm a sinner. You need to save Now receive your salvation through grace. What's grace? God riches at Christ's expense. There it is. Each had to take for himself. They couldn't be satisfied by watching another partake. And no one else could gather for them. Each had to reach out on their own. Here's another thing. They had to receive it early. For when the sun came up, it melted. Isaiah says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. I tell people, I use this in a funeral, every funeral. You are the one that decides where you will spend eternity. And it is decided this side of death's door. You decide for yourself, because God gave us a will, that you will be in eternity with Christ because you receive his free gift. You decide to spend eternity in hell, which was not prepared for you in the first place. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. You decide to go there because you reject the free gift. You decide. You decide for yourself. Nobody decides for you. I can't take you on my shoulder and take you along with me into heaven. You decide yourself. It's that simple. Manna is also a great example of God's word. How do we grow spiritually? We just mentioned it. Through studying his word. Through studying his word. That's how you grow. I mean, when you're, you know, when you're not saved, I mean, this book, before you receive the Holy Spirit, this book, man, this don't make sense. And then people tell you, yeah, it's filled with fairy tales and fables. Do you know that this here book is accurate as far as everything, historically? Also, as far as science is concerned, the Bible tells us long before they discovered a telescope where Galileo could look up and say, oh, man, oh, day, there's millions and millions of stars. The Bible told us that in the Old Testament a long time before he ever discovered it with his telescope. This is the most accurate book you'll ever pick up. Most accurate book you'll ever pick up. There's no mistakes or errors in this book. Now, if it's a typographical error, it's because somebody messed up on the printing press, not because God's word is messed up. Remember that. Every day, the children of Israel had two choices when they woke up. 
They could gather their manna and eat it or not. They had to walk upon it or walk around it. Well, if they were hungry, I think they would decide to pick it up and eat it. Now, I have just given you the formula for peace and comfort in your life. Many of you have already received that. You know all about it. Now, you have received it. Are you sharing it? Or are you letting other people know? Because that's so very important. Amen? Let's pray.